are listening to the AI with Maribel Lopez podcast, or AI with ML. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. The AI with ML podcast is produced bi-weekly with occasional bonus episodes. This podcast shares the stories of the people behind the new world of data and AI. What are they creating and why does it matter? If you like this episode, please subscribe so you can easily find the podcast again. You can also share your feedback and ideas with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. All links are in the show notes. Extended show notes can be found at AIwithML.com slash podcasts. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maribel Lopez, and I'm really thrilled to be joined here today by Afsana Akhtar. Afsana, welcome to the program. Thank you, Maribel. I'm excited to be here. Afsana and I had uh, the opportunity to chat a little while ago, and I've been really excited about this. Um, Afsana is the CEO of Amelia Virtual Care, and I thought rather than me describing it, that I would let Afsana describe it. Can you tell the audience what Amelia Virtual Care does and why you decided to join the company? Absolutely. Happy to do that. Um, what we do here at Amelia Virtual Care is, is leverage the power of virtual reality to improve mental health and how mental health care is delivered globally. And the way we do that is we have developed a platform uh, that we offer to therapists and providers. And our platform consists of a broad range of virtual reality environments um, that therapists can use, primarily therapists that they can use to deliver uh, therapy. And it encompasses a number of therapeutic areas such as anxiety, trauma, stress, um, different kinds of phobias, you know, so many across 12 therapeutic areas. And we've uh, really developed um, 140 environments in two different languages. So we offer this very broad range, one of the most comprehensive uh, kind of ranges of VR environments to help uh, the delivery of therapy uh, for mental health conditions. So that's what we do. And we, we can do this in a number of ways. So for example, uh, therapists can use this in their office when, when they're in the same, same office as the patient, but they can also use this for remote care. We know that so much of medical care and even uh, mental health uh, sessions, uh, therapy sessions are happening remotely. And, and people love that because of the convenience, the, um, uh, you know, the, the privacy of having remote sessions. So we support that our system can be used to support remote care. Uh, so yeah, that's what we do at Amelia Virtual Care. Fabulous. So why did you join the company? What intrigued you about this opportunity? Yeah, a few different things. You know, I, I, I'm by training an engineer. Uh, I worked in tech for several years. I've worked at startups for over 18 years. I've worked in digital health for 16 years. And what, what I love about working in digital health is that fundamentally we're helping the human condition. We're helping people live better lives. And for me personally, I love solutions that help empower people to better manage their own care. Because we know that the healthcare system, the way it has evolved is we're always reliant on providers and clinicians and medications. But if we can empower ourselves to better manage 
uh, our, our own care, to be more prevention oriented rather than having to, to have serious procedures uh, further down the road, then that just leads to better outcomes and a better quality of life. So that's what I'm very passionate about. Specific to Amelia Virtual Care, again, mental health, there's such an extraordinary need. Uh, we've seen, especially during COVID, where unfortunately uh, the, the, the severity of mental health and the pre prevalence of mental health grew, mainly because we were isolated, we weren't moving, our lives changed so much, uh, a lot of loss of jobs and so many other things, uh, loss of social contact with friends. So globally, our, our mental health status just declined and the demand for mental health services grew, but the supply of mental health services didn't grow. So there was an immense need uh, for mental health care globally. And so I saw Amelia Virtual Care as an opportunity to dive into solving a, a, a really huge problem and a need. At the same time, what intrigued me about the company was, was this virtual reality modality, right? something that just was new, a new way of developing or delivering mental health care that would be exciting. I mean, one thing that the healthcare industry has often always struggled with is how do we make healthcare fun? How do we make healthcare exciting so that people will actually want to receive care and earlier and consistently and actually adhere and comply with all the good things that, you know, that the practitioners want us to do as consumers. So the VR aspect was very exciting to me. And then last but not least, uh, you know, the team. I, I When I met the team at Amelia Virtual Care uh, back in November of last year, I just, um, I just clicked with the team. And, you know, so, so the impact and the evidence, uh, you know, with anything clinical, anything healthcare related, um, the evidence supporting the effectiveness of a solution is so important because otherwise the healthcare, the providers, the healthcare ecosystem uh, is reluctant to adopt. And there is a lot of evidence showing the effectiveness of virtual reality in improving care, in increase, increasing the adherence to care, but also in improving the outcomes, the clinical outcomes. So that really gave me the confidence that this can be a very effective solution and then you add to that the impact in the team, and it was really a no-brainer for me to join. I think you brought up so many great points there. So, you know, one, the, be, the ability to be able to do it remotely. I think there's been a certain um, challenge with getting people to come into facilities for mental health reasons. And now we can basically eliminate that uh, issue or anxiety they might have about coming in, which is a different anxiety, right? Uh, and then the second thing you mentioned about making it a little more fun and a little more accessible in some ways, I think that's really good. Um, two, making it so that they're facing something, but it's still in a safe environment. That's another issue that I think is really important uh, for a lot of individuals. So I, I think all that's great. And you were talking about AR and VR, and it's interesting because all of the things that I've been talking about with people about AR, VR have all been related to gaming. You know, is it good for gaming? Is it not good for gaming? That kind of thing. When is it going to be cheap enough for gaming? But this is a whole different thing. And, you know, your company clearly proves that there's more opportunity than just gaming-related opportunity. But sometimes this tech can be a little uh, difficult for people to figure out how, you know, practitioners, how to integrate it into their practice, uh, what to do. Um, I think it's easier than a lot of other things for 
individuals to use, but can you tell us how you helped companies overcome any challenges that they might have had in terms of thinking about AR, VR within the context of using it in business? Yeah, it's a great point. Um, and, and, and you also touched upon so many interesting things. The first being, you know, AR, VR kind of started in the gaming space. And it's true, the things that make AR and VR so appealing for gaming is also what makes it appealing in 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 mental health treatment or for medical purposes. So we know that that the power of AR VR is that it, it's immersive. It, it creates a more immersive experience. And why is that important for mental health therapy? Because there are certain types of therapy uh, called exposure therapies where we're actually trying to have a person's person almost experience the real thing. We want it to be very immersive so that it invokes the reactions that it would if they were actually in that scenario, but not so realistic that it scares them. So an example might be fear of flying, fear of driving, fear of small spaces, fear of heights, things that trigger anxiety, things that trigger cravings for certain controlled substances, right? There's so many different environments, family anxiety, work anxiety. So if we can simulate the environments that allow a person to feel those things, and then a therapist can help them develop coping strategies, management strategies, um, abstinence strategies, right? Then we are really helping the person evolve and develop. And the VR uh, really creates a very effective way to do that because without VR, how would we simulate, simulate being on a plane, driving a car, being on an elevator? It's so hard and it's impractical, especially in a remote setting. So VR, that's that's one huge value add of VR in uh, exposure therapy and, and just mental health therapy. But the next question you asked was, how do we get a clinical community to adopt this technology? And, and really any technology. We all know healthcare is not a fast adopter of technology. Let's be real. Um, and so any technology just generally, and I've spent 16 years doing this, getting healthcare to adopt new technology, innovative solutions. And it has to start with two things, the promise, the value, and the proof. And with VR, the promise is there. There is proof, which is the evidence. And there's the proof of the value, like we just described, you know, creating a mechanism to expose somebody to fear of flying, fear of driving, without having to go through all the obstacles of actually um, getting to a car, an airport, or uh, a plane. So the way we have to do that, and two things help, and the gaming aspect of it really helps. If people are already exposed to this technology from other aspects of their life, that really helps. So if people are already exposed to AR and VR through gaming or through education uh, or through training, then when their therapist offers it to them or their uh, health plan, then they will, it's not going to feel so new and it won't feel so new to the patient and it won't feel so new to the therapist. So one of the great things about VR is that therapists, psychologists are actually exposed to it during their educational training. And so when we take our VR platform and, and introduce it to therapists, they're like, oh, I remember this from when I was training for my psychology degree. And that's great. We love that because then it's not we, we, you know, they're already kind of broken in or introduced to it. So we also try to develop awareness around it. And so we are developing 
training classes uh, for continuing education, we're really trying to increase the awareness and education, introducing it into curricula um, so that so that the medical community has early exposure to it. But then beyond that, what we have to do is make it extremely easy to use. The other stigma associated with any new technology is, and particularly VR, because years ago, even a few years ago, VR was quite technologically challenging. It was clunky. It was hard to use. And it has gotten a lot better, but we still have a ways to go. And so what's so exciting about the VR space right now is the degree of adoption that's happening, the degree of investment that's happening by huge companies such as Meta, uh, Microsoft, Qualcomm, all these companies, tech companies are investing, and that's going to make the technology better and better. It will bring down the price point as well and, in, and make it more accessible and approachable. And I envision, uh, we all envision a day where um, people are using VR in so many aspects of their life and AR. And so it's it's a very small then incremental step to use it as part of their healthcare. Very similar to what mobile mobile apps went through in healthcare too. Even five years ago, you know, before the advent of the iPhone, or maybe that was several years ago, there was no usage of apps and mobile in healthcare. But then as the adoption of mobile grew, now we expect it. We expect something to be available on an app. What do you mean I can't check my health plan balance on my phone? Why can't I have a video visit with my doctor on my phone? So we think AR, VR is going to go through that same technology adoption curve. It's going to be very rapid. And because we will be using it in so many aspects of our regular life, our personal life, that it'll be a natural next step to see it as part of our, our healthcare. That that makes total sense to me. And I, I really appreciate the comparison to mobile, because in a lot of ways, I think that, you know, we started with big clunky phones, right? I mean, way back in the day, we started with bag phones. And now there are these yeah. little things you can do everything with. And, you know, I feel that VR glasses sort of started the same way, like big, huge, clunky things that nobody could really, uh, that didn't work very well, that people didn't want to wear for a long time. And, you know, we keep finding new and different ways to improve that. So that will, that will change a lot with time. Um, do you think that there's an intersection between, I know we've been talking about AR, VR, between AI and those two technologies? And, and if so, what do you think it will help do for the field? Yeah, that is, it's a great question because AI is another technology that has become very prevalent and also is not super easy to use and gain adoption uh, with because it really, just like AR, VR, any te any technology, it has to really fit into the workflow of the clinician. I think everybody has realized it's too difficult to ask clinicians to change their workflow. We have to fit into the workflow of the clinician. We can ask for small changes over time, but not big changes. And so where I see AI adding value, we at Amelia Virtual Care, we don't have AI in our solution today. And that's by design. We don't need it. We really focus on on the VR content and the user experience and the therapist experience. But where AI can really add a lot of value is which are the patients that will benefit most from, from VR? Helping match the best type of patient to the best type of therapy and the best type of VR therapy. Also matching the therapist, which are the therapists that will be most likely to adopt and most effectively use 
VR or XR, right? So I think these these are applications of AI that have also been applied elsewhere, like which med- matching medications to patients, matching other types of therapies and interventions to patients. So I think the same can apply here. And also what has grown is, is the data, right? The data that exists in EHR systems or in claims data or in health plans or that therapists have, the diagnoses. So if we can unleash AI algorithms to match, you know, these are the sets of patients that will benefit the most. These are the sets of therapists who will, you know, be most effective at using it. These are the types of diagnoses. Then I think what that does is it improves the adoption it uh, and it really improves the outcomes as well. And that gives a boost to any sort of solution or, or technology. Makes total sense to me. We are talking a lot about the ability to, of AI to sort of figure out a connection that might not necessarily be obvious in lots of different areas. You know, if you're in a contact center, it's what's the uh, next best action. If you're in manufacturing, it's, gee, when do we think that equipment is going to need to have certain parts replaced? So it makes sense that it would also work in, in this as well. So there's there's a lot of ground we've covered already, but I was wondering, you know, how do you think the market is evolving? And is there anything that you think will improve the access and affordability of these solutions on the horizon? Yeah, you know, the market is evolving so rapidly. It's almost hard to keep up, uh, especially in the AR VR space because of the excitement and the investment from these very large, very large tech companies. And so we're seeing evolution of hardware, evolution of content, evolution of applications every day. I don't think a day goes by where I don't see some big announcement around VR being used for education. Here's a university that's based on VR, VR being used for training, uh, some new application of XR, a new fund that's investing in XR. So this space is evolving so rapidly. And it's and that's why it's just it's such an exciting time to be in this space. Um, uh, but what needs to happen What needs to happen is to improve access, we need to do two things. Price point, the price point needs to come down because it's not good enough to just have these therapies in the hands or accessible to the the affluent group, right? You know, I sit in Silicon Valley and yes, there are a lot of people here with fancy VR headsets, but, but the people that are lacking good mental health access is Medicaid population. How do we get this to them? How do we get this to the 80% of people who are referred to a mental health practitioner but never actually get to see one? So what's exciting to us is we see this technology as being able to serve those populations because for the people who can't or are, are waiting months to see a therapist, we can ship them a kit that has certain VR therapies on there for them to use, not high risk not super complicated, but that still can help manage anxiety, uh, you know, uh, manage certain mental health conditions that they have, prevent it from getting worse. So there we are serving a really important purpose of access and, um, you know, and we're filling a gap that, that today needs to be filled. So I think um, there is a lot of work to be done to fill that gap in access and availability of mental health solutions, because there just are not enough clinicians to serve everybody that needs, needs therapy. And that's where we as a technology, as a, as a low touch solution, 
uh, can play a really big role. I think you bring up an excellent point about scale and scalability of healthcare. And in your opening comments, you also mentioned about uh, how much more um, mental health issues we've seen since COVID. So not only did we have a shortage before that, then we had an increase in need at the same time that we've had a decrease in practitioners. So we actually do need to find some other good ways to solve this problem. So I'm happy to hear that you're working on that. That actually inspires me uh, and makes me feel that the world's going to be a better place. So with that, we've now entered the part of the program where I ask you the bonus question. Oh, (laughs) exciting. So is there a book, a podcast, an activity, or a place that you'd like to refer to the audience? It could be anything, but just tell me what it is and why. Yeah. And, you know, I'll kind of pick a genre. I, um, for, I think for the, for the past decade of my career, I've really become a, a passionate student and a voracious kind of consumer of content around emotional intelligence. And it's kind of linked to mental health, but uh, I found that it really helps, um, really helps us evolve uh, personally and professionally become, it's helped me become a better leader, a better parent, a better spouse. And some of the thought leaders in this space that I really love to follow are Adam Grant, Brene Brown, and they talk about leadership, um, different personality profiles. In particular, I really love Brene Brown's, um, you know, uh, video around vulnerability and being brave and, you know, daring to lead. It's just, I listen to them over and over again, because I think there's just so much to learn there. And these are things that actually, that they're rooted, they're rooted in mental health and psychology. So practicing gratitude, um, you know, uh, just, just um, understanding different personality types, and, and being able to be supportive of people, both from a, from a functional point of view, but also from an emotional point of view. So I think, this has kind of been an area of lifelong learning for me, and yeah, those are those are some of the those are some of the thought leaders that I uh, really enjoy listening to. And then another area that I've um, really, I think, since COVID started to embrace is growth mindset, because it really teaches us um, resilience and how to adapt to change. I mean, with COVID, we all had to adapt to something we never would have imagined. Uh, and and I think it it challenged us in so many ways how we live how we work how we find new ways of of socializing so I think growth mindset is something that I try to apply for myself I've brought it into the company as well and lots of podcasts around those so those are some of the topics that I'm very excited about and would be happy to refer those those are actually really great because I think we don't spend enough time uh, thinking about those I think in management you know one of my one of my great feelings as a manager when I was a manager before I um, but before I shifted out of that was that I didn't spend enough time recognizing that people are motivated by different things and that you really need to figure out, you know, the different categories of what that looks like. Not everybody's the same in terms of their motivational goals. And then, you know, just understanding um, what kind of emotional support different people need, I think is really important. And then you brought up the growth mindset, which I think is really interesting because resiliency is something that I think we're all learning to uh, to live with more now and to try to figure out how to do in a way that uh, keeps us sane. So yes. those are all those are all great great points. And on a personal note, I actually have been doing the five minute journal app on my phone for 
probably more than a year now, and it, it really has helped, and it's really been wonderful in terms of reminding you of all the great things that are in your life. So, awesome. That's this. great to hear. Yeah. Thank you for those suggestions. And if we want to find you, is there a place that we can find you on social that you'd like to share with the audience? Absolutely. I'm uh, very present on LinkedIn. Folks can contact me. My email address is afsana at ameliavirtualcare.com. And yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Maribel. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. Show notes, subscription links, and additional content can be found at aiwithml.com slash podcasts. Until next time, wishing you all the best.